Welcome again to all those tuning in to the Southwest Climate Podcast. It is the end of June. We are officially in the monsoon season. So what we're going to do today is, I mean, to me, quite frankly, this is, uh, you know, we're past what we were calling the doom season last What, last El Nino? Episode. The failed El Nino doom no, season? No, I was thinking that was more like May and most, Were you even most here in May? June. May was delightful. It was yeah, the but, best May I've ever had in, in yeah, uh, May, Southern May, May, May was, wasn't that bad, but the first part of June... I mean, June is typically a, just a very bleak month. June's been rough this yeah. month. Yeah, I, I, I give you that. This and it, to, I guess it, it's to add insult to injury. Was coming off of that, the May teased us. I think cooler Thinking, temps. Well, yeah, it was it was cooler, cooler than average, and I think uh, Southwest in particular, some precip up north in uh, Arizona, New Mexico. So after the heat waves we had in February and March, mm-hmm. to have sort of our reverse spring. And then do some weird... I think El Nino was trying to make it up to me. But it it was too late at that point for me. If May, the month of May, the average temperatures, depending on where you are, were anywhere between zero and four degrees below average. Yeah. Average temperatures. Right. Um, So yeah, that... But it's still hot that it's still ramping up to, to become. Yeah, but I see I have I have recollections of the sun being very high in mm-hmm. the sky in May, as you know, it's sort of moving towards solstice, and the air temperature not keeping up. It was cooler than I expected it to be. And been here for sixteen years and I remember some Mays that you just like you said with the doom season. I just didn't feel that this this time around. So I think it was a, a really pleasant May. I hope we can do some more of those in the future. Not sure if we'll be able to pull that off. But so to come off of that and then move into the kind of June we've had, that's pretty rough. That's true. It was rough. So my point was that we are now entering into a season that to me brings uh, great enjoyment. Absolutely. I, okay. Fair enough. Right. Right. And you know, the, long the, the, May, the May and June until the monsoon starts to me is about suffering through epic heat. Penitential. Penitential climate. Wow. Right? Do you like that? I do. Okay. That's I'm good. not even no, sure I know what that means. Uh, well, it's, 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 your, it's your long suffering into deserving what you're going to get during the monsoon. That's so if you don't suffer enough, you don't really get what you need to get out of the monsoon. Yeah. So yeah. let's do a little recap of where we've been. We'll talk a little bit about the climatology of the monsoon. We'll get into some monsoon dynamics, and then we'll take a little look forward, which I think comes with the big caveat. Haven't we learned anything yeah. in looking forward? We have, but I think what we know about the monsoon is we know that you shouldn't look forward in the monsoon. Oh, okay. Uh, in the other okay. months, we don't. We think that we can look forward. I probably haven't learned a lesson. Well, yeah. okay. So we we talked a little bit about where we came from, but I think we should spend a little bit more time talking about the heat in the early part of June because we did experience two very substantial, not record breaking, uh, but close heat waves. Prior to the monsoon season, it, it's characterized by these sort of extreme heat waves that create some pretty tragic events. Each year, 2,000 people in Arizona experience heat-related illnesses. Most of them are men. Mm-hmm. Most of them happen in June, July, and August for obvious reasons. The, yeah, the core of the heat. And uh, many of the majority of them are experienced by uh, non-U.S. citizens. Isn't that interesting? And that was the, the fatalities that occurred here in Tucson this past weekend were people visiting here. I think we're all tuned up to, you know, how dangerous the, you know, 115 degree temperatures can get. Yeah. I mean, and that's not even, I mean, that's ambient temperature. 
Some of the, the fatalities I had heard about in, in Arizona, they were uh, young, highly fit people who were doing outdoor recreation who succumbed. So, and they got all early, did everything right. But I think it was just, just the level of heat, five, 10 degrees warmer than it was maybe the previous weekend when you're out doing the same activity. Can make um, a big difference. Can make a big difference. And they, you know, some people were, were talking about the fact that you, your body becomes very unpredictable in the way it'll sort of respond to these these kinds of heat events. And they don't happen enough, you know, at this level that you're really going to understand what you're kind of getting into. Yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, I've never experienced this, but I wonder how quickly your mind can just be confused. I think that that's under heat the, stress. Absolutely. I think that, you know, they, they, we talked about all the, the sort of warning materials that were going out. We're talking about that sort of element of confusion and of having um, heat exhaustion and heat stroke. That's pretty dangerous pretty quickly. So a couple other statistics between 2000 and 2012, and I got this from the Arizona department of health, but between 2000 and 2012, 1500 people 1,500 mortalities, about 120 a year. Phoenix was topping out this past weekend at around 119. We were at 114, 115, those events. So so pretty pretty darn close to, to record. Pretty darn close. So I, we had two heat waves. We had an earlier heat wave right in the first week of, of June, and we broke some locations that had their daily mm-hmm. max temperature for those particular days. And then we had an interesting sort of break in activity and fell back to near average temperatures and even had a couple, we had a rain event uh, occur the early part of the month, Tucson actually recorded a decent amount of precip. That's right. That was like a prelude to the monsoon. I remember being like, wow, it's like, it's humid out. Yeah, it was weird though. So this was, um, that particular event was frontal actually. And it was a, a kind of a, a late season cold front that was interacting with some subtropical moisture to the South. So it's, it's not unlike the types of systems you'd see in September as we move into fall um, and the fall season starts to, to kind of crank up. We were coming out of spring, moving into summer. So we're getting sort of late spring systems interacting with subtropical moisture to the south. doesn't happen every year, but uh, happened this year, we're able to squeak out um, a rain event. Yeah. So um, on the 10th, Tucson picked up two tenths of an inch and then had a trace on the 11th. And at that point, temps were just about right at average. Um, so we sort of fell back and then, then we, we raced ahead with this most recent heat wave, you know, we were going 101, 103, and then had a, a 109, 115, 112 run of days. That's several days in a row. I think we broke the, te- we broke the, um, max for the day. And mm-hmm. then the temps themselves, this was Tucson and Phoenix and many locations across Southwest were in sort of top three to top five all time record highs in the entire period of record for those in these stations. Tucson and Phoenix go back to about 1948. Pretty substantial heat wave. I mean, these it's are- not unprecedented. Yeah, it's not unprecedented. And it's actually, this. it's the time of year that you would experience them. Yeah, it's, you know, dynamically, the high pressure's sort of uh, sitting in. It was overhead dynamically and, you know, very little in the sense of winds aloft, subsidence, sinking air overhead, and then high insulation. You know, this is happening right at the solstice. So we're getting the longest days of the year. So we get this run out of it. Right. And so looking at Phoenix, uh, so far this year, Phoenix has has had nine days above 110 degrees Fahrenheit. If you look at the historical record, it, it the, all time, it's, a, it's 11 days. But of course, in the last 15 years, it's been, uh, it's, it's been higher than that. It's been on average 22 days a year. Wow. So you know, nine is they'll they'll easily break the uh, the historical average of eleven. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be above average as far as these runs of days, right? We we had a stretch of of high pressure system set in more recently. I mean the 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 humidity's increased. It feels yeah. It yeah. The swamp coolers go off. Holy moly! The circulation 
seems to be in place for the monsoon? I mean, you know, we, we think about the transition from spring to summer down here across the Southwest. And it, it, when we look at the weather maps, we're watching the subtropical high, that high pressure system, mid-level subtropical high sort of move north. You know, it's in Mexico in um, late May, early June, and starts to move north. Well, it just started to kind of hit the gas and then went right overhead and then parked right over the four corners. It didn't really spend much time overhead except for over the heat wave in the weekend. And now it's sort of positioned to the north temporarily. And in that um, being north of us, it starts to then, as you said, sort of steer the moisture into. And we had this dew point rise in um, southern Arizona on the tail end of the heat wave as the high went to north of us over the four corners. And, you know, the dew point went up about 30 degrees you know, from the teens on Monday to the 40s on Tuesday, but we didn't really get any rain out of it. So it's this is like we had the heat heat wave, we had the tail end of the heat wave continuing, and we had the humidity. So there was like this this transition day where the temps were holding steady, and you know, it's like 112, 107, 109, but the humidity had like tripled, and that is that's horrible. Well, I mean, you actually you actually need higher humidity to yeah it's to, not enough it's right. not enough it's it's, it's enough yeah. to make you miserable like to, to make the swamp coolers ineffective yeah. to turn your air conditioning on spend more money that sort of thing but i'm okay with us holding off with the dry like the low dew points and even the heat if we can do it and then like do yeah. this thing where we like on july 1st switch it on and then we have a we have a surge of moisture come in and we we just do it prior to this sort of uh, static definition of the onset of the monsoon, which is uh, June 15th now. And the National Weather Service has done that because it's just an easier way to communicate to people that, hey, you know, think about flash floods, think about lightning, um, think about other sort of monsoon related hazards. But prior to that, um, the monsoon onset was defined as three days cresting the 50, um, the 54 uh, degree Fahrenheit dew point. Daily average yeah. dew points, yeah, exceeding. And that, and that was for Tucson. That was there for were, Tucson. Different actually, definitions. Yeah, this is what yeah. made it a little bit complicated. Yeah, and I think that that was part of it is the standardization. And I, I mean, I'm in, I'm in favor of the seasonal start and end dates because it's not unlike hurricane season where you're kind of in this window climatologically where you should expect to see the yeah. hazard emerge. Right. So I, yeah, I think it makes sense. The humidity is a measure of the amount of moisture around and we're not quite there to, to, yeah. to generate widespread precipitation. Maybe where you have these, the, the mountain, the higher elevation areas that are forcing air to flow up and having, yeah. so, instigating the convection that way. Right. And it was interesting that the, the event, the rain event we had that was really, you know, the sort of frontal interaction drawing moisture up into the Southwest in early June, we were two days above the dew point definition and we could have triggered the dew point definition, if we would have had a third day, except it just fell like just below 54 on daily average dew point. Yeah, it went 52, 58, 56 for three days. Yeah, so we weren't we weren't quite there. It could have retrospected. And that and that's like kind of why the, the dew point definition is not practical in some because that was not monsoonal in any way. But if you look at the winds and if you were defining the onset of the monsoon as a shift in the in the orientation of the surface or near surface winds, then we've been there. Yeah. So since the since the um, high pressure system um, moved in and basically brought the heat wave, we've had pretty deep easterly flow, and that was actually what helped trigger the um, dew points. You know, if you look at the for sort of forecast over the short term, it kind of ebbs and flows every day. Like interesting, we all were commenting as we woke up this morning. We woke up to cloudy skies 
in sort of light, um, which is called kind of anvil rain, which is old decaying thunderstorms out of northern Mexico that just have, you know, had really knocked down, drag out great thunderstorm activity in northern Mexico. They drift north overnight. They run out of energy and they just have this sort of light rain. And that's basically what we've had today. It's not what you'd see it in like late July. So it's, again, we're kind of the soft, sloppy start. Hey, man. I, I'm I'm with you. You know, I, I think it was this like morning was a gift. It is, but the flip side is, what does it do with the surface humidity? It's going to drive it up. We don't really have any. It'll shut down chances of seeing any afternoon thunderstorm activity. So, man, I just everything is negative. I'm pretty pessimistic yeah. on all this stuff, right? I don't know. Can't you're, even see. You're, you're within character. <laughs> <laughs> you started to talk a little bit about the dynamics. I want to wait on that conversation because I think it's important that we take a minute and just go over the climatology of of the monsoon season wherever you go it's going to be different particularly as you go up in elevation you're going to have more precipitation than if you go down in uh, elevation if you go west toward phoenix you're going to have less precipitation warmer temperatures than if you're east there's a huge amount of spatial variability within the monsoon season which is in and of itself part of the defining character of the monsoon but just picking tucson We get, on average, at the Tucson airport, about six inches of rain during the three months, uh, July, August, September. Yep. That's more than 50% of our annual total. I think the the annual total is about uh, 11.5. More than half of our our rain falls in just three months. We've had wet years on the order of 13.84, I I believe. 13.84 inches has been the maximum amount of precipitation in, in Tucson. Tucson airport too. Tucson airport, which is not, which is obviously if you go closer to the mountain, it's going to, you're going to have higher precipitation. Is that what you were going to say or? No, it's just that that's kind of the, we all grumble about that. And I think in all our respective urban areas across the Southwest is that um, there's one rain gauge that we all refer back to and and nobody ever gets what that gauge gets. So climatologically what you're doing exactly is like, you got to put some bounds on it. Yeah. And we'd expect that kind of around that you're going to have spatial variability. And that's, yeah, like you said, this hallmark of the, of the monsoon. It's been as dry as about 1.1.6 inches. Mm -hmm. So the wettest came in 1964, Tucson airport, driest came in uh, 1924. So the range is somewhere between 1.5 and 14. Yeah. And I think, you know, point out never zero, never zero. It's kind of interesting, you know, and, and we see this even in sort of paleo, uh, work on looking at the monsoon is that it always shows up. It's a little bit weaker, a little bit stronger, but it always shows up. Interestingly, that's the seasonal average, but I bet you could find zeros within certain months or close to zero. Sure. You, yep. And I think that um, you could, if you did this sort of spatially, you could see losers, you know, places that just sort of didn't get it. And that, again, that's part of the spatial variability part of this. But mechanistically, it's not ever that we know of sort of contemporarily or even sort of paleo work, not, not rained in the Southwest. Right. So another thing, little known uh, aspect of the monsoon uh, on average at Tucson airport, only about a quarter of the days see rain, see some measurable rain on mm-hmm. average. Yep. So, you know, roughly a couple, couple days a week. Lower elevation, you go to Phoenix, it's less than that. And then as you go up to some of our sort of mountain towns and higher elevation locations, that frequency doubles in uh, close to triples in some some locations too, where afternoon thunderstorms are, you know, an every two day occurrence or something like that. Right. And if and then if you average in the times between the yeah. the, the wet periods, it's like fi- it's like five days. Yeah. Yeah. 
the bursts and breaks that will happen naturally. And you often get these, these, these dry spells. So, you know, I I mean, I, in my mind, the monsoon is the perception that I have is that it rains more than it actually does. It's absolutely. Yeah, that's actually true. And I think it's, it's sort of the, the eye candy element of the, the monsoon as well is that if you're near mountains, is it you're almost every day, unless there's a, a grand break period is you're seeing clouds building, building and convection building. Right. So you're always sort of, emotionally attached to a cloud that's building the chances of you actually seeing <laughs> rain with that cloud though are, are pretty pretty slim i'm not sure i would oh, come ever on zach use the word emotionally attached to a cloud I've that's seen, amazing you do some amazing <laughs> photography i think that i think you've had some moments i so, love clouds i know you do yeah, i know you do um, <laughs> i just yeah. never heard it put like that that's no, great. don't you you get those great buildups and you think that's mine that's mine <laughs> that's gonna come right over here and that's gonna get my house and it and it breaks your heart so <laughs> Oh, I should also say that the sort of climatological beginning of the monsoon in Tucson is around July 1st. Yeah. And so, right. And again, as you start painting that picture, east, west, northwest, we have those gradients and start dates, right? So uh, New Mexico is earlier. Um, Southern New Mexico has, you know, already been at it for like a week or two. We're coming into ours. And as you get further west and further north, the, uh, you know, the, the, where they get into their core of their activity will be later climatologically. They all have the sort of hallmark of, you know, the monsoon ridge sort of progressing north. We get a heat spell. We may end up having some sort of sloppy kind of, you know, teaser systems like we did earlier in the month. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we'll have crazy hot, dry wind as the monsoon ridge pushes north into sort of late season cold air. And then all of a sudden you're in it and then boom, you get a Gulf surge and you're, you're in it like the first week of July. The Probably the way to do it is to go back and look at the dew point traces, you know, from june into july and sort of look how much variability did you have do you get socked in really early and stay there did you get did you stay dry right until the day before so okay so the, the 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 position of the high pressure which is a key aspect of bringing that moisture into our region it's it's the the the, the high pressure system has to set up to our our north yeah for the most part for the most part yeah i think that that's sort of one of the key defining elements of being in a sort of a healthy active monsoon pattern okay. is sort of deep easterly flow so we've got that but what we don't have is the moisture and i'm wondering where is it yeah where yeah where the hell is the moisture yeah where's the moisture well okay so this sort of deep easterly flow kind of works um and so really i think what it's you know pointing to is that um the monsoon high four corners high setting up to the north the ridge is that we're not directly underneath the um we're not underneath the high pressure system and you then have the ability to sort of input moisture in from thunderstorm activity that's occurring to the east and to the south. Mm-hmm. And that's been occurring. Uh, and that, that, I think, has been why we have some moisture, is that we're getting outflows from thunderstorm activity to the south and to the east. But we don't really have really good deep moisture yet. And that, that to me, is that we in Arizona right. can't make hay yet with all of this heat until we have um, really the moisture streaming up the Gulf of California into the low deserts. And we, we have this metric we use is called precipitable water, um, which is if you, if you took a column of air from the surface up through the atmosphere, lower part of the atmosphere, and you're able to literally like squeeze out all the water, how much what would be the depth of it would be. We're like at around one inch of um, precipitable water. And that's marginal really with this kind of heat. And where the moisture is, is it's sort of 
kind of mid-levels it streams in the mid-levels and that's not real effective and so what we've seen is we've seen storms pop up on the mountains and they do the shaggy virga stuff which is classic beginning of the monsoon as you're importing mid-level moisture from the east you need it to connect with moisture virga surface the rain is actually evaporating before yeah, yeah it it's actually makes you know, the, it to the ground yeah it's a lot of this the part that you can see is actually snow and it's melting halfway down and then it's turning into rain and then it's evaporating so it's just good it's just yeah it's yeah, exactly. So that, yeah, we've seen that. It's not real impressive. I had a couple big drops in my house and it, just what it does, it makes it really humid at the at the ground. You can moisten up the atmosphere that way and get low level moisture. It's not efficient. It's not fun to do. What we really need is we need to, we need to get a good Gulf surge event um, to, I, th- I think, push us into full on. Right. So we need to, we need to, uh, to push moisture from the Gulf of California That's up, right. yep. up yep. into our region. That's you right. can do that by by an easterly wave passing yep. you can do it by tropical some sort of dis- well that would be a disturbance yeah. you need some way to drive the air from the gulf of california up into our region you get clusters of thunderstorms and it's all about the position of them and they'll form on the sierra madre and mexico and they'll move they'll move to the west because they're in the easterly flow because they're at the southern of the overall high pressure system and they're big they're big clusters of thunderstorms that hang together and could kind of create their own feedback of weather they wander across the mouth of the gulf of california and as you said too that that an easterly wave can organize these clusters of thunderstorms they can be self sort of organizing in these mccs and tropical storms if they end up wandering which is what we had last year which actually kicked us off is that they wandered towards the gulf is that what they do is they put down a lot of moisture in actually cool air. You know that feeling of the cool air you get rushing out of a thunderstorm? If you do that at the mouth of the Gulf of California, that actually creates a surface high-pressure system that interacts with the thermal low up the Gulf. There's your pressure gradient. So the thermal low literally sort of pulls the moisture up the Gulf of California. And then it is like, it's like kind of almost tidal. It's like a right. tidal plane in the low... You get that pump. You get a pump, yeah. And it actually sloshes into the lower elevation areas. And then afternoon heating um, on elevation will draw the moisture up into southern Arizona. And you can then, that's the only way you can really get it to rain out into Phoenix and then further to Gila Bend and then, um, you know, down towards Yuma is that you actually have to have all that moisture in place. Those golf surges, which we hear so much about, are critical for creating widespread precipitation. But actually, it's not... That's just one of the ingredients that's that's important. Like, yeah, you have to have moisture in order for there to be precipitation, but yeah. Yeah. but also you have to have sort of the dynamic instability within the atmosphere to to enable that moist lower lower air to to rise and become buoyant and then to be squeezed like a sponge and and, and range. So you need dynamic instability as well. So you need the profile in the atmosphere. You also need winds. And I remember a couple of years ago maybe three years ago where we had a lot of moisture in the region but it was all confined basically to higher elevations because there wasn't the sort of steering winds aloft to blow to blow the storms off the mountains and so the deserts were dry but the but the rain was quite uh, extensive on on the peaks that's exactly and so if you look down in mexico where the you know the monsoon activity in Mexico is driven by the Sierra Madre, right? And so it's it's a pretty simple, you know, mountain sticking up into the atmosphere, getting heated by the sun, um, right next to a really warm source of moisture in the Gulf of California and in the East Pacific Ocean. You you just you can drive afternoon thunderstorm activity just by that direct thermal circulation. But once you get up into Arizona, you're away from the moisture source. 
you have uh, mountain valley interactions and most people live in the valleys and the valleys it's actually can be really hard to rain we can get afternoon convection in the mogollon rim and the in the mountain locations pretty easily mm-hmm. especially if the moisture is there and it's deep and you can even just get sort of feedback because they've rained down there they'll evaporate and they'll rain again if the steering currents are are low when you want to get these organized thunderstorms to move off the mountains and into the valleys you have to have a temperature profile in the atmosphere that will support that and if the high is overhead or if the mid-level temperatures are too warm all it will be is really 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 miserable and Mm -hmm. sticky at the surface you can't form a thunderstorm the moisture is marginal it won't carry it so it's sort of interaction of of the two of those and like you said steering winds you have to have like a bunch of components actually come together to align to get the thunderstorm activity to then move out in the valley locations, which is why the number of days of rain as you go lower and lower elevation decreases. Yeah. And that, then, that the convergence of those factors together is, is, you know, and it's interesting because there's kind of built in mechanisms in the monsoon to suppress some, some of those, those feedbacks, right? Like, so when it, when it rains and there's a lot of moisture around, you have more cloud cover that reduces the sort of sensible heating that goes on at the, at the surface, which suppresses the ability for that, the moisture to rise and be convective. So the shading you get in the valley locations or like where the elevation south of here drove the thunderstorm activity, but then the residual cloud cover hangs over to the next day can shut things down. So it'll, it'll really shut things down here in Arizona, even for the upper elevation locations, because you're just not going to get warm enough. It's like, you know, closing the window blinds. The Gulf of California moisture is critical. It's the most important source of moisture for our region. We can't get deep moisture in Arizona any other way. Deep Gotta moisture, once. Yeah. And so it's, and again, we like think about deep pers- moisture, like a lot of precipitable deep moisture. That's right. <laughs> deep moisture. Like, yes. are we talking, what is deep, what is deep? deep okay. To? So it's, and it really comes back to precipitable water, right? right. So if we think about precipitable water in that column integration is that, so you get closer to the surface, you have the ability to have more water vapor. That source coming right off of an ocean body and holding together and sort of moving uphill is going to be your deepest source. So the east, you've got all these sort of mountain ranges and higher elevation locations you got to work it through. So the amount of moisture you can actually work in from the east is fairly limited. If you have to have a really juicy outflow from something in northern Mexico to, to do anymore. And again, I'm really sort of talking about the the valley locations is that, you know, in a good Gulf surge event, we can get up to like two mm-hmm. inches of precipitable water. And then it doesn't take a lot of solar energy to make that really, really convectively unstable and explode into really good. But we rainers. do get moisture in from the east, from yeah, from the Gulf we do. of Mexico. We, we have does, been. Yep. Do you get deep moisture from uh, the Gulf of California at a time in which you can have a lot of moisture coming in from the Gulf of uh, Mexico? Best case scenario. Best case scenario. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And then so you've, you've got deep easterly flow, you know, easterly flow out of the mid levels that is bringing in some moist air. And then it's mm-hmm. connecting with a good Gulf surge event at the lower elevation. And sometimes these can be kind of coupled because you can imagine where the position of the subtropical high is, which is north of us. So there's good deep easterly flow occurring all south of it, which had pushed a cluster of thunderstorms over the Gulf of California. Sun comes up and we've got you know good thermal low, or actually these, these Gulf surges really happen overnight, which is when they're sort of most active. Stream up in here into Southern Arizona, and then you're connecting mid-level moisture with low-level moisture. And then you, you start to look at these, these profiles, which is a way of sort of looking at the you know, temperature and humidity as you go from the surface up in the atmosphere. They get very tropical looking. And in that case, you, know, you throw a little sun on it and you can have really good 
deep thunderstorms that'll be heavy rainers at that point. But the easterly flow, the moisture from the east, that to link this back to the position of the high pressure ridge, like that only happens when that when the when the center of that is to our north. If this and that center is sort of moving moving yeah. around through Yeah, it's dynamically moving. Yep. Uh-huh. And when it sort of migrates to more to over over our head, yeah. then you, then we're actually no longer able to get that easterly flow. That's right. And so then at that point you typically see the mid-level temperatures warm up. And so you know, even if it's hot at the surface, if the upper levels are warming, that means the the gra- the lapse rate, the gradient, which is going to be that buoyancy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about that, uh, if you try to push a beach ball down in your pool, it pops back up to the surface. So if it is cold at upper levels and very warm at the surface, that buoyancy is going to want that. You know, that ball is going to race to the surface very quickly. If that gradient isn't as high, or you know, it's right. it's warmer at surface, it's sort of weakened that gradient. You have weak possibility of convection. You, and you can, you've, you've seen the clouds on those days, right? They're not the hard cauliflower look to them. The hard cauliflower look is when the parcels of air are just screaming up in the atmosphere. They have the kind of soft look to it. Mm-hmm. And you're always like, eh, those are those cotton oh, candy. Oh, so that's a nice proxy those, for, yeah. for the temperature grading in the atmosphere. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's the instability in the atmosphere. Yeah. The position of the, the, the high pressure system which wobbles around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and at times is in places that sort of facilitate these breaks mm-hmm. when, when they sort of move in yeah. more over our, the center is more over Southern Arizona or even a little bit. Does it go a little bit to our South? Okay, if you think sort of climate timescale, seasonal timescale, if the ridge is strong into the North of us, that typically correlates with good, robust, consistent monsoon activity. If it's weak and suppressed and the ridge is um, further South and maybe even kind of, parked overhead, we typically see suppressed activity. So that's sort of the general. But in the weather time scale, that monsoon high is wandering all over the place. Right. And like trying to actually piece together the controls on the persistence of these, these uh, what you were just describing is yeah. really challenging. Yeah. And so the dynamical models are forecast really, I think, seasonally become somewhat simple in the sense that they they will rely on sort of the ridge position, right. even though the, the day-to-day weather variability and the dynamics are like really, really complicated. And I think on average, it's going to just sort of expect that maybe half the time we'll get that, half the time we'll get it right, and then you get the stats out of that. Understanding how much the position of the ridge stays in one location versus another, which is a determinant, a key determinant to how robust our monsoon is. Yeah, at the sort of climate timescale is really challenging. In it is, fact, yeah. In fact, there is not, it seems to me, my reading of this is there is not much predictability in being able to do that. I don't think there is. I mean, I think that this, we're kind of at the very beginning of seasonal uh, timescale. And there's been some good papers. A colleague of ours, Chris Castro, has worked on this a lot. And, you know, it's, it's everything from what is the direct very local and regional scale influence of where thunderstorms are occurring on the, where the subtropical ridges and the feedbacks with it all the way up to the global scale and looking at teleconnections like El Nino and La Nina and how they come into play with some of the features of the monsoon. And um, as some of his work and some of his grad students have looked at is that there are these global teleconnections and wave trains that can set up across the globe in the summertime that, can influence the ridge. So it's, it's not necessarily one certain specific thing. And it, and it's an ongoing sort of adjustments 
within the monsoon season too. And we, and we haven't even talked about the latter part of the season, which is when you get tropical storms. Right. So, you, so some of the potential prediction can be squeezed out of the early part of the that's mo- that's the, monsoon that's season. work of yeah that's what Chris Castro's work. Right. right? And there is this. Uh, I don't know if it's a consensus, but there is this uh, belief that there. The variability within the monsoon season is sort of broken into the. It's a different variability in the the early part than it yeah. is in. It's like getting it going, right? Is it you know what's the transition into it, and then there's sort of the intra seasonal part, which there's bursts and breaks, which you've been identified, and I think that that's where you get the the negative and positive feedbacks internally and the adjustments with it, and then it's sort of getting out of it. It's like, well, when are we done with it? And, and it's over. And you're, yeah, I think you're right. It's sort of broken into these different pieces. You know, the official, you know, forecast for the monsoon is a coin flip. Coin flip. Yeah. So, and it's not all that surprising given the, the complexity of it. And the other thing that we didn't talk about, which we've talked about in the past, is that it's even more complicated because Arizona and, you know, New Mexico, we're on the northern fringes yeah. of the monsoon. It's really a, it's really a Mexican feature. Yeah. The, the center of the monsoon is in the, you, you mentioned it before, the Sierra Madre Occidental. Mm-hmm. And so as you go further away from the center of action, you're probably more susceptible to these fringe impacts of other other factors that play a role. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the interseasonal variability increases, I think, pretty dramatically as you get to the northern reaches. And but it's, and it's interesting to know that even in the coin flip, we know that it's somewhat bounded by this, the fact that it the lower bounds is still rain right right? it's not as much as you probably want and in the locations you want and the upper bound can be knocked down drag out flooding so that to me is kind of an interesting feature is that the monsoon has a a pretty narrow onset period like if you think about trying to you know (laughs) it's like you can plan weddings and event outdoor events around the monsoon which is insane right think about doing that with any other like What's March going to be like in the Midwest? I don't know. Could be anything from like epic heat wave to a, a freezing rain event. But here in Arizona is like, what's June 30th going to be like? Well, if you week, wait a week later, it's probably going to rain. If you went a week earlier, the chances of it raining are actually pretty low. So that, that to me is kind of an amazing climatological feature for down here. That's a good point. I mean, I, I do get caught up in how very spatially and temporally variable the monsoon is, but there is pretty well-defined parts to it. Like yeah, the onset. It's, got, it's got you know pretty hard edges on it. And, it. and it's like by September 30th, it's mostly done. You really think about what's what are the common features of that is solar insulation is peaking at the front end of it and then retreating at the back end of it. So you can really get a feel for how thermally direct the monsoon circulation really is. The dynamics of it are much more complicated as well. They're much more complicated as you move north outside of the the sort of core region, which Absolutely. speaks to yep. the, the variability. Absolutely, because we get away from the moisture source. So the moisture source actually has this huge... Gulf of California. Gulf, we get away from the Gulf of California and we're away from the Gulf of Mexico. And topography and the interaction with topography becomes really complicated. If we were all mountains, like if all of Ari- if Arizona didn't have valley locations and basin range topography and this sort of lower elevation, if we were all just sort of sticking up, I bet we'd have a much more reliable rainy monsoon. Or bring the Gulf of California up to Yuma. And if we flooded you know, the lower, lower part of Arizona, man, we I, would nail. I actually think we should flood all of the Mojave. Enhance the robustness of the Southwest monsoon. I like it. This seems like a good NSF proposal title <laughs> right there. 
but yeah, we're far away from the the, the moisture source, yeah, uh, and consequently we have you yeah. know a lot more yeah, variability. Yeah, you, you get the slosh. You're further away from the. I think that's really very well put. Okay, so I, I think that's a, a pretty good uh, intro into the monsoon season. We're not quite there, but by the time we come back, we'll we'll track it as as we move into July, as we move into August, and and see the tail end of it. So what's your what's your uh... you're gonna make me predict? Oh yeah, I'm gonna make you put a number down. Your backyard, how many inches? September 30th. You know, I have to say, I think this is where we shouldn't predict. Ugh, Zach, that is no. Mm-mm. Put a number down. I'm actually fairly optimistic, but I have no scientific reason to be optimistic. That's fine. What what bets usually are that well informed? I think that we're gonna have a good monsoon, but I, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I, you were not, you. What was your bet on the El Nino? What was your glass half full bet on the El Nino? I'm a glass half foot <laughs> guy with the monsoon and a glass half empty guy on and so oh, predictions. Oh, all right, okay. And it's only because I feel like we rely too heavily on one thing. Okay. For the, for for Enso predictions. Yeah. Here, we, we, like, we relied on El Nino. Yeah, we relied on El Nino. Here there's like so much going on that I feel like there's more opportunity for, for Upsides. optimism. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. There is absolutely no science behind this. Yeah. So this is why I think that we ought not to be predicting. I Give me a think, number. Man, you're dancing. Give me a number. 137. No, no, I want inches. 137 inches? Oh. All right, write it down. Airport. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say nine point five. Nine point. Okay. That's what do you say? I was gonna say eight. Nine point five. I don't even know what that. You get? Do you have a rain gauge at your house? I don't. Oh, that's gonna make this really challenging. All right. I'm Are we work, doing it at our house or the, the, or the? Oh, I guess we should airport. do the airport. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna say nine point five. All right. But again, I'm going I, with eight. My, 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 see, look at me. Two inches above average. I I I wanted a number. I got a well, number. Wait, I'm happy. What's what's? I said I said eight inches. Eight inches. Yeah. Eight inches airport. Yeah. So you see, I'm I'm I'm. I'm on the optimistic side as well. Well, we did it again. We did. We wasted an hour of your we time. We wasted an in, hour. In classic car talk fashion. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we'll come back in about a month and uh, do a little recap of the monsoon and, and see what uh, it has in store for us. The Southwest Climate Podcast is a production of CLEMIS, which is part of NOAA's Regional Integrated Science and Assessment Program and is housed at the University of Arizona Institute of the Environment. Mike Crimmins is a principal investigator with CLEMIS, a professor of soil, water, and environmental science in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, and climate extension specialist with the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. Zach Guido is a research scientist with the Institute of the Environment and UA program manager of the International Research and Applications Program. The podcast is edited and produced by Ben McMahon, research outreach and assessment specialist with CLEMIS. This is going to be a bad, bad episode. That'll probably get edited down, hopefully, at some some level. Thanks, Ben. Yep.